grandpa of one of our families in the parish was telling me about a new governance board he had joined. And at the first meeting with all these new board members, they went around and they said why they were on the board, what they were passionate about. And when it got to him, I was really, really tickled by this. He said, you know, at a certain point in life, you stop doing things because they're going to look good on your resume. And instead, you start thinking about your obituary. <laughs> to realize that this world isn't all that there is, is a challenge for each one of us. And today in the gospel, the scholar of the law who stands up to test Jesus Christ begins by looking past this world. Now, we don't know his motives besides that we're told he was trying to test Jesus Christ. We don't know if he really wanted to know what it was going to take to inherit eternal life. We don't know any of that. But what we do know is that Jesus Christ takes his questions seriously. And he responds in a way that we probably weren't expecting. When the scholar asks Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns the question back to him. What is written in the law? How do you read it? A scholar of the law should know, because the law was clear. But what's so interesting is he has the author of the law in our hearts right before him. So he's trying to interpret the law to the giver of the law. And what he says is true. You should love God and love your neighbor, and then we get eternal life. If we do that, if we love God and love our neighbor. But here's the challenge. It's one thing to just know the law. It's another to actually do it. All of us know deep down what we should do. We have the voice of our conscience. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the teachings of the church and the law written on our hearts. We know that we're supposed to go do good and avoid evil. We know that we're supposed to love God and our neighbor. The problem is we don't do it. We give ourselves excuses. We take days off or we exclude certain people that we have to love. But this is the challenge. We know what we're gonna, we need to do. What's it going to take to finally do it? Well, the scholar of the law asks a follow-up question. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because if we need to love God and love our neighbor, it's good to know who our neighbor is. Here's the other funny part, though, about this question. He doesn't ask who is God. Even though it's obvious at this point he really doesn't know. God himself is standing in front of him. God himself is standing in front of him. And yet, instead of recognizing the God who he should love with all of his heart, mind, and soul, he gets caught up in who's my neighbor. And that's an okay question, but here's what's beautiful, is that Lord gives us an answer that we have been wrestling with since it's been shared. He tells the story of the man who fell victim to robbers and was left in the gutter, thought dead, how the priest sees him and walks on the other side of the street. See, that man would have been unclean. So if the priest would have gone over and touched this potential dead body, he wouldn't have been able to serve and what he was supposed to do in the temple. The Levite, same deal, doesn't help. This is not an easy parable for priests to hear <laughs> because we don't help. Not in this example. And yet, a Samaritan, a Samaritan who doesn't understand the full law, who doesn't follow everything that God's chosen people had followed, is the one our Lord uses as the example who shows mercy, who goes to the man 
who had fell victim, who was dying, who tends to his wounds with water and oil, who puts him on his own animal, takes him to the inn, provides for him in a way that he could never repay. And our Lord asked then the scholar of the law, who was the neighbor to the victim? Notice, Jesus doesn't answer this guy's question this time because he's asking the wrong question. He wants to know who his neighbor is, like God's going to say, well, this half of the crowd is your neighbor and this half is not your neighbor. That's not how it works. Everybody's your neighbor. But I honestly have to say that it wasn't until a little while ago that I had a deeper appreciation of this parable that really struck me. You see, this parable is one we jump ahead on all the time. We think, okay, how can I be the Good Samaritan? I'm reminded of that every time I go to Olathe Medical Center and there's a Good Samaritan facility there and we have mass there. I just had mass there on Friday with the residents and they're wonderful. And I love that our Lutheran brothers and sisters named that facility Good Samaritan because that's a challenge to everybody who knows this parable. Because every time we hear this parable, we think, okay, how do I show mercy? Great. But that's jumping ahead a little bit. Think about why our Lord told this parable. We are the ones who are dying in the gutter. We have no hope on our own. Jesus Christ is like the Good Samaritan. Totally other as God. Far beyond anything we can comprehend. And yet he comes and takes on our flesh. Enters into our mess. And by doing so, he heals our wounds. And he sets us free and he gives us nourishment for true, everlasting life. Jesus Christ has become our neighbor. And notice, he does this. Just like in the parable, he does this in the sacraments. In baptism, we are restored to life. And we are anointed with that sacred chrism, the oil. Our Lord Jesus Christ gives us himself to eat. When it comes to mercy, there are corporal works of mercy, the works of mercy for the body, and there's also spiritual works of mercy, the works of mercy for the soul, and we need to show both because we are whole persons, body and soul. When our Lord answers this scholar's question with the parable and then turns the question around, it's an invitation for us not to say, first, what must I do? But first, do I really get it? Do I really get today that Jesus Christ has made himself my neighbor? See, we'd prefer for God to be way distant, for God to be way out there, not involved in anything in our life. We'd like to make the excuse that God really doesn't care that much, or he's so far off I can't relate to him. We'd like to think that this world is all under our control. We'd like to have way more control. But the truth is, is that God cares so passionately about us that he entered into our experience. He took on human flesh. He loves us so passionately that he can count every hair on our heads. And what's really scary, what's really, really scary, is that he loves you enough to care about what you do every moment of every day. There's not one thing that we do that God doesn't care about. And he loves us enough that he actually allows our actions to have meaning, not just in this world, but forever. Based on what we do today, it determines eternity. And this invitation in the gospel today to ask the question, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, should be a regular practice in our prayer. It's a classic spiritual practice to think about the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. 
This world is not all that there is. It will stop. We will then have to face our just judge, Jesus Christ. The scholar of the law doesn't know it, but he's standing before the just judge, Jesus Christ. We need to know it, but sometimes we don't. When we come before Jesus in the Eucharist, we are standing before our just judge. And at the end of time, our Lord will come in glory and it will all be made clear. There is no hiding anymore. There are no more excuses. Jesus Christ, the just judge, will be all in all. And then there are only two options. If we have acted out of love in response to his love and relied on his grace to stay united to him, we get to stay united with him forever in heaven. If we reject Jesus Christ through our sin and we don't turn to his mercy and choose to be separated now, if we die in that state, we are separated for, with him forever in hell. We should think about that. And not just because, you know, we're forced to by some outside force, because tragedy will do that to us. Tragedy puts everything into a harsh perspective where we can't escape what we really want to. But I guarantee if you start choosing to bring Jesus Christ the questions on your heart about eternity, the questions on your heart about the meaning of life right now, to actually consider that you will die, you will be judged, and you will either be united with God forever in heaven or separated with him forever in hell. Would that change how you love today? For me, it should. Because this is not a theory. This is not just something we get to contemplate and speculate on. This is something that matters today for my neighbor. St. John Paul II talked about that, how our love of neighbor allows them to see Jesus Christ in a unique way. And that if we don't do concrete acts of love for our neighbor, the world doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. He said that actually at a Wednesday audience in 1999, 20 years ago. Every Wednesday when the Pope's in town, he, he has a Wednesday audience where he does a little teaching for the crowd there in Rome. And 20 years ago on October 20th, St. John Paul II reflected on this love of neighbor. And he talks about what's called the Christological meaning, meaning the Christ focus, the Christ-centered meaning of love of neighbor. He says this, the Christological meaning of love of neighbor will shine forth at the second coming of Christ. Indeed, at that very moment, it will be seen that the measure by which to judge adherence to Christ is precisely the daily demonstration of love for our neediest brothers and sisters. And he references the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I was hungry and you gave me food. Only those who are involved with their neighbor and his needs concretely show their love for Jesus. Being closed and indifferent to the other mean, means being closed to the Holy Spirit, forgetting Christ and denying the Father's universal love. Concrete acts of love excluding no one as our neighbor. Maybe we're like the, the scholar of the law and the gospel today, and the reason we want to know who our neighbor is is because we want to exclude somebody. The person who doesn't deserve our love, the criminal, the person who acts in a way that I just can't agree with. Whoever you have in mind right now as being excluded as your neighbor, 
Are you willing to bring that to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, either at the moment of death or at the end of time? And are you willing to risk eternity on that distinction? Because that's what we're doing. But if we allow ourselves to focus on that mercy of God that he has shown for us who are dying in the gutter and have no hope outside of Jesus Christ, then he can transform all that we do. Every concrete act of love is from him and for him. And then we truly get to see Christ in our neighbor. We get to see Jesus Christ in everybody that we meet. The challenge is, though, is that our neighbor has so, been so politicized and dehumanized by so much content that we bring into our minds in a lot of different ways that we don't first think, am I a neighbor? But that was the answer to the scholar's second question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus Christ asked him instead, who was neighbor to the victim? God is our neighbor. And instead of asking, okay, who's my neighbor that I have to love? We need to ask the question, am I willing to be a merciful neighbor? If we do that, everything can be put back in order. And you can have that peace and joy that you're longing for. If we try to limit who God is calling us to love, it's not going to work out in the end, but it's also not going to work out today. Let us reflect on that question of eternity. Let us rejoice in the difficult, concrete acts of love of our neighbor. And let us put to death any lies that we have bought into that exclude any human heart from the love of God. Any way we have tried to justify treating someone as beyond the love of God. So today, let us recommit our hearts to Jesus Christ. Let us recommit our hearts to the one who has rescued us from the gutter of death. And let us rejoice in the life that he gives and share that life with our neighbors.